Hey, Chad here. Before we dive into this week's episode, I'd like to say a special thank you to you, the listener. The response to the show has been really positive and it's absolutely heartwarming to see. Please don't forget to follow the show on our Instagram and Facebook pages using the links in the episode show notes below. While you're listening to this, please also hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening to right now. This makes a massive difference and helps grow the podcast. It also allows us to keep making more episodes. And now, on to this week's show. That's the way I've learned. It's a long process. It, it wasn't a process that happened overnight. And I'm still learning. And it's scary because sometimes you just go, this could all end like that. And that's what lockdown showed us. Hello. Welcome to this episode of Breaking Out. I'm your host, Jared Lazar. Ever wondered what it takes to step outside of a traditional job or career and chase your dreams? Let's find out. Each week, I interview inspiring guests who've done something unconventional and created an interesting, novel or unusual career for themselves. When it comes to success stories, you often hear people use cliches like you've got to grab your opportunities when they come or you've got to take your shot. We've all heard those before, right? And sometimes cliches are true, and for good reason. Take my guest today, who got his big break by entering a radio DJ competition on a dare. If ever there was a story that epitomized the notion of ditching your 9 to 5 to follow your passion, it's the story of Dale and Oliver. After being a mathematics and history teacher for all of five months, Dalen very quickly realized that his true passion is stand-up comedy. On this episode, Dalen talks us through how he took his talent for looking at the lighter side of life and embracing the humor in himself and his surroundings to turn it into a successful career as one of South Africa's most recognizable comedians and voices on the radio. Dalen is the sports presenter on Town radio station Group FM's Breakfast Show and hosts his own weekday comedy show called The Happy Hour alongside co-host Carl Weber, which has been nominated for the Savannah Comics Choice Award. When he's not on the radio, Dalen is on stage performing stand-up comedy. He shows I Came, I Taught, I Left, Place for Radio, and Day Zero, the Water Shortage Comedy Tour, have each had very successful runs and are currently available for viewing on Showmax. Dalen also made his on-screen debut in a lead starring role in action comedy movie Finders Keepers in 2017. I feel like I'm talking to a, an A-list celebrity yeah, Dylan Oliver, thanks for joining us. How are you? Thanks for that lucky intro, man. Um, I genuinely uh, hide away when any achievements or career highlights are highlighted because, um, yeah, it's just um, it's just tough to be in the limelight, I guess, even though our industry is on stage. But thank you for those kind words. Um, those are um, some career highlights, um, which I will close to my heart. Away. Brilliant. Let's let's get straight into it. Um, radio. So yes. you are you are the sports presenter from six o'clock in the morning to nine o'clock on the morning drive on Good Up FM. Yeah. I imagine your normal day is pretty unusual. 
Why don't you talk me through it? What, what does a day in the life of Dylan Oliver look like? So in terms of radio, that's correct. Uh, six to nine on uh, the Big Breakfast Show. It's hosted by Stan Mars, which is awesome because he's one of my uh, day one radio. I actually started in broadcasting with him back in 2013 when I started at Good Hope FM. He was the lunchtime host and then they um, were kind enough to, to afford me the opportunity of being the uh, lunchtime sports presenters. Very new, very raw behind the microphone I was only doing comedy for about two years radio comedy is two different industries so yeah Stan was the guiding hand the calming hand and now full circle eight years later I'm fortunate enough to be working with one of my best friends in the industry so that really helps in terms of, of chemistry standard day wise I'm up at about 4 30 um, if I wake up on my first alarm <laughs> I've got uh, I've got eight alarms set because I love a snooze like everyone else. Um, I genuinely do. If I can, I'll stretch because I'm 32 now, Jared, and I'm getting old. So um, <laughs> and I'm not like an hectic yoga stretch, just like a, a normal stretch of my legs and my back. Because I don't know if you have this as well. Do you crack in the morning when you wake up? Does you are you there yet? Does your body crack yet? There are more parts of me that crack than parts that don't. Okay, okay, that that's good. Then I at least feel like we're on the same page. So that happens um, the night before. I'll, I'll I'll catch up on Blitz and online and what's happening. And then it's work until 9 a.m. Um, breakfast radio is busy. It's busy and it's fast. And you've got to be on your toes. You've got to be awake. Um, it's also that thing, just remind yourself how fortunate and blessed you are to be uh, pursuing your passion and working in the field that you right. love. So those tough mornings when... Before lockdown, when I would be gigging and coming home until, when I say gigging, I mean stand-up comedy, would be gigging until 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, falling asleep at 1 o'clock, 1.30, because your adrenaline is kicking in. And in the comedy world, pre-COVID, then you'd, your day would be split between meetings, writing, planning. When I say planning, I, I like to work on the road with work. So if I can um, be in Derbs, Joburg, or PE, um, so if I could plan traveling, my, I would always plan if I don't have other work going, okay, cool, then um, I want to be on the road at least once a month, whether it's for club work or with my own shows. And then planning theater shows this side or in other cities, um, if, if I'm, I usually try to do a, a one-man show for, for two years. And in the second year, I'll try to film, film the special. Um, so pre-COVID, I was planning on filming adulting because um, it was going into the second year. And right. then I would have filmed that at the end of twenty. 20, but I didn't, which is fine. Life happened for everyone. And yeah, the, the toughest part now is going forward because we can't plan any shows. So this is the thing, right? Uh, I read somewhere that you were on the road with your show, Adulting, which you've, which you've mentioned. That obviously would have taken a lot of planning to get up and running and, you know, organizing show dates and, and gigs and so on. Yeah. And you are almost in the middle of this run and then suddenly COVID happens and lockdown happens. That must have been very frustrating and, and difficult to deal with. Yeah, look, um, I always laugh and not out of happiness, just out of, <laughs> that's my way of coping. The the Because we all heard the rumors about COVID and the possible lockdown, you weren't sure. This is now March 2020, and that March was specifically, it was a good work month. So I like playing my calendar around. In summer, I'm fairly busy with, with, with cricket work. Um, I don't know if you remember, um, well, you know, it's a KFC mini cricket program. It was yep. Bakers back in the day. Right. Yeah, so fortunately involved with that. So we, 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 go, we go around the country to about 16 cities. Um, then there was the MSL campaign. We were in 
at Paul with Paul Rocks and at Newlands with Cape Town Blitz and then other cricket work that would pop up here and there. So I'd structure summer around that with, with shows and in winter I tried to travel more club work and with, with my own shows. So the reason I say that is because you start getting into a groove of what your year looks like. You know what I mean? And, sure. and for me, that was a good space to be in as, a, as an artist because it's, it's really tough figuring things out. Um, there's no set blueprint on how to create this journey for yourself and how to achieve um, success. Such a loaded word. What is success? What, what does it mean to you? How would you define success? Honestly, for me, <laughs> I always tell my children this. They always call me out. They're like, hey, you're always wearing shorts and sloffies. And it's always weird shorts. So you're wearing a shirt. What's your story? Why don't you like wearing shoes or formal clothes? I go, bruh, for me, that's success because I'm happy. I get to wear shorts and sloffies, which I really enjoy wearing. Um, I, I think it's 2021, so we can't be defined by the clothes that you wear. It's very important. You know, back in the day, a suit meant success. Um <laughs> So for me, being able to yeah, being able to wear running gear or comfortable clothes is a form of success. Um, I think it, at the moment, given that I'm that I'm still a bachelor, no kids or family, um, long term, God willing, if I have that in my life, um, I would see that as a form of success. But now, it's being able to work. You know, it was being able to work, being able to let the debit orders go off, <laughs> like being able to pursue pursue my passion can't be oblivious and say money doesn't matter money does matter because that allows the world to tick in certain instances um but you've you've got to make a, a decision of how much you want to keep chasing and chasing and right to each his own i mean for me it was always interesting in my in my 20s i was always scared to take off from work because you're a freelancer so no work no pay right and a lot of my chummies were traveling and going abroad and doing all these really cool things and buying all these cool things. And I was never phased by it because it's weird. Once you get focused on your goal and what you want out of life, if you can call it that, and your profession, you kind of go, okay, cool, whatever happens around me, I'm fine with that. Like my buddies would always be like, my bro, you're working seven days a week. Are you okay? I'm like, don't ever stress about me. If I'm working, I'm happy. I love being on stage. I love telling jokes. I love performing. So you don't have to worry about me in, in that regard. If I'm not working, then you must worry about me because there's a lot of other issues that come along with it in terms of like mental health and your mental well-being, emotional well-being, physical well-being as well. I think we've seen in the last five or ten years, I would say, um, how comedies like really become mainstream, not just in South Africa, in the States and elsewhere. You've got people like Kevin Hart and um, yeah. Dave Chappelle. I mean, even from South Africa, Trevor Noah obviously is the is yeah. the, the one to talk about doing stand up and filling stadiums and you know appearing in, yeah. in Hollywood movies. You know, is that the goal for you? Is, do you think it's is that achievable? Like, what do we need to do for us to get to that point <laughs> if in I'm South gonna Africa? be the Kevin Hart movie, my sign me now. <laughs> um, I've been asked this a few times, and I always go. For me, the goal for comedy is to just is to just keep working. If I'm working and I plan accordingly and sometimes you don't even have a plan you just do it but if I'm working and I'm consistent with my output and I'm building and growing all the time then I believe that numerous windows of opportunity will open more access points will be accessed um, more spaces for me to grow as a comic in terms of other industry other avenues of industry will definitely open so that's that's my 
my mentality and I tell you why it sounds like very philosophical but I don't want to I don't want to put the tick box of going I want to be in a Hollywood movie I want to be in a South African movie because I just feel like that's a necessary pressure um and that's not my main that's not my main thing what did Rasi Rasmus say in chasing the sun let the main thing be the main thing so the main <laughs> thing for me is Dylan a stand up comedian perfecting my art for me that's the main thing perfecting the art of being a stand up comedian that's the main thing it's i've been in the business for 10 years now but it's i still feel so young and so wet behind the ears so raw in terms of this journey is just going to keep growing and keep getting better and and in that growth it's me performing to more people in south africa more people globally um fortunately and unfortunately it's a weird thing i say unfortunately because i'd love to have done more international performances I've right. performed in Namibia and Namibia Council International I'm, I'm sticking to it even though it's one <laughs> road on the N7 I'm sticking to it um and and Canada and when we were in Canada we went to a comedy festival with just for laughs just to go check it out in Montreal and um it was mind blowing it was like the Disneyland of of comedy yes we all want to perform I'd love to perform all around the world at at the biggest comedy festivals if I say I wouldn't want to I'd be lying to you definitely sure. but that isn't like a a goal on the on the notepad for now um if you look at Luis Ogola now right. what an inspiration man is the first african netflix special like that's such a big deal if i'm not mistaken it releases on the 23rd of march um unlearning they formed it in in cape town at sites market during lockdown and um it's just such a magical thing to see because Luis journey from relocating from south africa to to living abroad to then performing at international festivals to performing in different countries regularly to to headlining in different countries and festivals regularly you just go that's that's the thing but the sacrifice that that comes with that it's a really big it's just a serious business stand up comedy and um it's like with anything you do if you're passionate about it yeah so if you're going to write the show okay how are we going to how are we going to write the show what's the what's the joke the journey there are we going to figure out this next hour what stories are we going to write um is there a theme is there not a theme okay we're going to travel how are we going to travel where are we going to travel where is this money coming from are you going to get any profits no i'm not worried about the profits if i break even fantastic are you going to break even how are you going to break even marketing oh my word how are you going to market this thing this social media um are you going to produce your own stuff are you going to fund your own stuff are you going to approach people to fund it are you not are you going to work on deals we're not going to so all these things and it just allows you to to build the business brain as well which is the tough part because we as humans i don't think we natural business people um i come from a background where i was going to be a teacher we'll get into more about dylan's journey as a teacher a little bit later on but what's quite interesting is that it sounds like comedy like most other things is a business as well as a craft something that takes time and effort and hard work to hone and perfect I wanted to find out more about this from Dylan. Once you just look to master this skill and this art form of stand-up comedy, and it takes many, many years. Jerry Seinfeld, Seinfeld '66. He has a new special on Netflix, and it's funny and it's relevant. So you have these kings of the the international industry, you know, who are still creating 30, 25, 20 years later. I'm still in the infancy stages like right. I'm just learning how to walk and I'm I'm very excited for for the next 10 years um 
I don't know if we count lockdown years, but it feels like 10 years. <laughs> One of the things that I love about your comedy is that a lot of the time you are poking fun at yourself. And you're also poking mm-hmm. fun at your appearance. And one of one of the running mm. gags, I think, in your in your shows is that you resemble Vin Diesel and it's it's quite uncanny. <laughs> I die inside every time I hear this. Um I'll tell you the, the reasons for, yeah. Well, well, I mean, let, let, let's let's explore that. So what I wanted to find out is I guess, do you think that people relate to that? You know, like almost like the message is mm. we need to all stop taking ourselves so seriously and just yeah. laugh a little bit more. Just Make fun of ourselves. Self-deprecating humor. That's right. what it that's is. That's the word. Um, yeah. Yeah. Self-deprecating humor. So you allow people to be comfortable if you pick on yourself first. You allow them to be at ease. You allow them to realize, hey, this guy's not too serious. He's making fun of himself. In doing that, you you open the platform and the space to go, okay, if I pick on you or I tease you or I make fun of another topic. Know that I started with myself. So we did look. That's just my view. Um, and I'm fine with that. I, I don't mind being the butt of the joke. Um, I, I, I'm there for it. And I mean, 10 to one, I just use the spaces to eat into, into different avenues and just find common threads with, with, with my audience. I like that fun diesel joke. <laughs> so the irony about that is it's one of the first gags that I wrote. And when I say gag, I mean, I mean, jokes, we'll right. call it that. Right. So in 2010, Jared, I was still studying. I was doing a BA in history and politics. Look at that at UCT. Um, I was, um, I really enjoyed the two subjects as an artsy student. Um, I wanted to lecture history at one stage. Don't even ask me why. So then what happened was um, I was studying for the politics exam in October and I just didn't want to, I didn't want to study anymore because I was busy with cricket and this and that. I was just going, this is boring. I don't smart for it. And then I took out the notepad and started writing down um, thoughts and funny thoughts, what I thought was funny thoughts, yeah. very rough, fresh some stupid funny thoughts. Um, at no stage uh, the idea of becoming a comedian ever crossed my mind. At no stage did I ever go to my mom and they went, ah, to be a stand-up, but I've always loved, loved stand-up comedy. Love stand-up comedy growing up. So then I just started writing these funny thoughts down and in writing these funny thoughts down, I thought, okay, cool, let me speak about the, the bits and bobs that people speak about with me in terms of appearances. So moving from SP, non-model C, um, brilliant school, to um, Weinberg boys, Model C, all boys, being light-skinned, always playing cricket in the circles where, you, where you're going across the railway line. It was always funny for me because a lot of people never knew whether I was white or colored. That was always a thing. Obviously, when I speak, you can hear, and I personally think that I do look colored, um, but <laughs> <laughs> that was perception. So I was going, cool, let's write that down. Then I got a very, very dominant nose. I always say I look Jewish, right? So I'm from retreat. Um, when the auntie say shalom, I say salute. So there's a gag, like a cheesy gag to throw in. So I thought, okay, cool. Let's let's write that down as well. Um, going bold, cool. Let's pop that in. Friends always just tease me. Ah, oh, you look like Vin Diesel. Okay, put that in. And then all those little things helped me to to structure my first comedy set. Um, it's at Joker's Comedy Club, November 26, 2010. And the cool thing about it is that without knowing it, you start going, oh, obviously, stand-up comedy is grounded in your identity. Like, it's so grounded in self in terms of going, I can't speak about other issues if I don't speak about, or other topics if I don't speak about myself and what's relevant to me first. Do you only realize that afterwards once you become more mature and once you, once you perform more? So without me knowing it, 
the comedy identity or the comedy comedy persona was starting to develop so that when people leave a show, um, I won't forget when I was writing my first show, I came out thought I left. I changed to one of, um, one of my favorite comics, one of my good friends, uh, Keiji Mukhari. I was about five years into to my career and we were chatting and KG, and we started together a few days apart, KG and I. And he was like, what are you saying on stage? What are you, what are you leaving people with? Right. Um, when you leave stage, what do they know about you? Are you just telling jokes? He's telling stories that have nothing to do. What are you giving them? Do they know anything about you? I mean, you have the chat with numerous comics down the line. Um, when it's with friends and comics that you trust, it's easier. Same story then came up with, with the director of that specific show, Stuart Taylor, comedian and friend. Stuart's like, what are you, what are you telling them? It's it. And you realize all the identity politics that's that's involved in this. And then you're not aware of it at the start. So then I did my first set at Jokers. Um, I had five minutes. I did four minutes, 30. And um, looking back, I'm like, oh my word, how could those jokes have been funny? <laughs> but the cool thing was seeing the growth of the material to me still using, not using it now, but to those gags in that specific show, um, those perceptions of me being really cool core gags of mine that, that kind of allowed people to go, oh, you that guy. And that was fun because it happened without me knowing it. But that initial thought was so rough and the growth of it because of stage time yeah. it was a beautiful process to watch. So that's also quite cool with, with, with stand-up is that the growth can only happen on stage in a live, live medium with audience members. Online is not going to grow the way that you want it to grow on stage. Right. Um, but you can also reflect as a, as a comic a year later, two years later, five years later, 10 years later going, oh, that's why that took so long. That's why that didn't work. And that maturity just keeps on, on coming. And it's all down to stage time. If you don't do the stage time, if you don't perform, you're not going to be fresh. You're, it's like gymming. It's like anything. It's yeah. like walking. It's like if you don't walk too long, your muscle memory is gone. You're going to feel stiff. It's, it's not going to be liquor. We always say you want to you wanna be loose. Sometimes you have a good set. You're like, oh, it was liquor. I felt <laughs> loose. And you have a bad set. You're like, ah, could feel the juices weren't there. The, yeah. the rhythm wasn't there. Um, it's all, it's all about time and time on stage and just becoming a student of your art form and loving what you do and embracing every little um, journey of it, the journey of a new joke, the journey of mastering your old gags and mastering the story and the punchline, the pauses, the journey of writing a new show, the journey of working in new spaces. Mm. Obviously, the focus of, of your first show, um, I Came, I Taught, I Left, was about yeah. you having studied for five years and then you teach yeah. for, I think, five months, you say, and then you leave teaching yeah. and then you, you go into... Five months. Five months. In so, total. So, I mean, so, so when you say you came, you taught, you left, like that, that's not a joke. That is very literal. <laughs> no, that's fact, bro. And I speak about it in the show. It's, I love each show for different reasons and I really like that show. Yeah. Um, so... <laughs> Five months was in total, bruh. It was two teaching pracs of eight weeks, so that's 16 weeks. And then the rest was at Weinberg Boys. Um, and the then headmaster, who I had a good relationship with, Mr. Richardson, gave me a call. He knew that I'd qualified. And um, I was doing nothing until April, because that's when my contract with Good Hope FM started in terms of working on lunchtime with, with, with Stan. Right. So then he's like, listen, there's two months over here. 
two, three months, two months. Are you available? Can you do a stand in Tempest? And this is the details. I'm like, okay, fantastic. I'm free. Let's do it. Let's give it a shot. And I'm glad I did it because as much as I love education and I love working with, with the youth, I mean, I coached cricket at my cricket club, St. Augustine's for like, you know, since 18 until like 27. So that's from mini cricketers right through. Uh, when I was a student, I was working for Sporting Chance. Shout out to Brad being also an old boy, um, just for <laughs> hooking me up and giving me the gig. Um, and then numerous other cricket coaching jobs to earn money as a student. But that's working with people and youngsters, and I love that. But teaching at Weinberg for those two months was a great indicator that I was nowhere near ready to head into the education profession full-time. Yeah. Like nowhere near the commitment that I needed. I was still very selfish in terms of our I was kicking during the evening and then I'd go to school. Obviously, I'd prep lessons and I would not um, do the kids in, in terms of what work they needed to cover. Sure. Um, when, you're at, when you're teaching, and that wasn't even real teaching, but you just realize the, the kids consume a lot over the year. Um, but I was nowhere near the commitment. I, my brain was on stand-up while I was teaching. I was thinking, oh, because that year, that was a special year, 2013. Because I started in radio, I ditched teaching, but the conversation with my parents after graduation in 2012 was going, listen here, um, you guys have always been awesome and supportive. Just give me this year off. I'm going to give this year a go in terms of stand-up comedy. So I'm going to give it a full go. If I fail at it, it's fine. I just need you to know this is what I'm doing. They were like, cool, go for it. No problems. Still staying at home. Okay. They supported me fully. They always, My dad would always be like, you made smart decisions so far. Uh, you were committed to cricket for this long. You committed to university. We trust you. I was like, shot, just trust me. And then what happened was the big thing, and this is just like small bits of investing in yourself because mm -hmm. no one's going to bet on you if you don't bet on yourself. Like no one is going to bet on you if you don't bet on yourself. And I, I was always very um, wise with the money that I had made over my student years. So like a casual at Sportsman's Warehouse and then the coaching cricket. I was always hustling and figuring out. I used to do this, um, there were extra math lessons vibes that they would do in the cinemas on Sundays. Then I would do that as well. So my hands were always busy in terms of going, yeah. how am I going to make money? I was always hustling. How am I going to make money? Um, I was doing wine promotions at one stage, just doing events <laughs> as well. Like my bro, anything, I sold notes at Varsity, study notes of the one course that I did really well in. I'm like, cool, I'm going to draft this up, sell a few notes. Didn't make a lot, but I made a thousand bucks, which is a lot of money in yeah, general, yeah. but it's a lot of money when you're studying, bro. So then what I did was I would put all that money away, all that, all that money away, um, I, I wasn't leeching of my parents. So what happened? I'd managed to save some money and I was going to the arts festival and I was doing my first show. My whole thing was on the right to show. And I met with Stuart, um, Stu Taylor, Stu, he's a so comic, like I said, Grassy Park, Poiki, one of the veterans in the industry, one of the first wave comics in South Africa post 94. Um, and it was like, Stu, will you direct the show? And this is what it wanted to be about. You know, the teaching and attending Weinberg and SP and now not teaching yeah. and then that started happening so that happened in december november already the year before and unfortunately um 
teaching job popped up. I'm like, shot, this is going to be cool. Can coach there as well. This means it's more money that I can pump into, into comedy. I don't know how yet, etc. but we'll see. And then the arts fest came around and you're just like, oh my word, this costs that in terms of registration, this marketing, this traveling, this accommodation. And um, I won't forget chatting to my daddy and my dad's old school man in terms of, of risks. Right. He's from that generation. Like, do things by the book, don't risk too much. There's no need to risk too much, but do it by the book. You save and then you have the order and you have this and you have that. And then by the end of your um, your, your career, when you retire, then you will have a pension and all this. Meanwhile, artist Dana is like, knife, don't just dollar, but I see what happens. Just put all the money you've saved into the show at the arts festival. And my dad's like, don't you want to buy shares rather? Or do you, don't you want to do this? Yeah. He's like, don't you want to buy this? I'm like, no, I'm going to put this money into my show. You don't have to understand it. Take the money out of it for now. This is a dream that I don't know whether or not it's going to be successful, but I, I'm going to risk it. And then we'll see. I say, let's see. The risks are low now. I don't have kids. I don't have family. I have no big expenses. I have an Indian account. That was like my big expense. I'm like, let's just see. And if the money's gone, it's gone. It's fine. It's fine. I'll figure it out. Um, I've got my qualifications and I can go teach and go into a real job and we'll see. And I was like, just trust me. That's all I needed to do. Because even though my parents and I are different generations, I have a very good relationship with them in terms of just life communication and lots yeah. of advice that I'll ask them, bouncing ideas. And I was like, I also need you to be on the same page as me because we're close. So that's important to me. Like, I need to know that that you're in this man, even though you're not there. I just need to know. And he's like, no, nah, we should be in it. And he's like, we trust you. I'm like, that's all you need to do is trust me. And fortunately, things were things were a success. Fast forward to 2021. And we always laugh about it because he still says, now nah, I would have bought shares. I still would have, <laughs> I still would have bought shares. For, for people who've come from an area like Retreat, yeah. Cape Town, um, whose parents, you know, were still struggling with the effects of apartheid yeah. and, and, and all of that. There's this intergenerational trauma almost that mm. surrounds, you know, how we think about job opportunities and, and careers and, and so on. Yeah. And I think certainly, you know, in, in, in my experience, it's actually very rare for parents like yours of, of that generation to say listen here's this dream and it's probably not gonna <laughs> end up making me a lot of money but i'm just gonna go yeah. for it it's actually a very rare thing i think i mean like what's your yeah. what's your sense Look, they, of that they, they were awesome and they still are they come to all the shows shout out linda and jerry and I, I grew up very fortunate very blessed um, and i'll speak about even growing up privileged i i do think i grew up privileged and i'll explain what i mean um so Dad's electrician, mom's a teacher, and um, they did everything they could to make sure that we got the best possible education. For me, I was a keen cricketer while growing up, so if, you, if you're not aware, I played junior provincials. Um, the dream was to be a professional cricketer while growing up. And um, again, even with that, mom and dad channeled all the energy into giving me accessible spaces, whether it was club cricket or, or school cricket, we made a way. I always sit down with them now and going, how did you afford that? Because a lot of people think when you go on tours, it's sponsored. So so from that regard, they, they always created opportunities and let us dream and said, just go for it. So I think their base was so strong in terms of allowing us to have that access. 
they trusted us to give that 300%. Like, <laughs> I did first year maths over three years. <laughs> I won't forget. At, at <laughs> MAM 1000 at UCT. I split it over two years, then I failed it. And then I won't forget, then I failed it. I told my daddy, Yana, this is hard, man. Eight o'clock lecture every morning. And my daddy just looked at me and said, don't waste my money. Stop complaining. Don't waste my money. And I was just going, yeah, that's, and not like shouting at me, but just going like, bro, why are you complaining? I wake up like at 4.30 every morning and I go work. Those are the heroes because they created the spaces for us to flourish in, right? So right. So right. I, I had this conversation again with, with my core um, friends of, of Wyman Boys. So just saying, I, I grew up privileged because I was, my opportunities and access was much better than the lighty up the road. So in terms of that, I definitely see myself growing up in a privileged space because mm-hmm. even though we grew up in the same area in retreat, my access points were much more. They stretched further. Yes, yeah. that's yeah. through opportunities that because of the base that my parents gave, but in terms of the socioeconomic circumstances and access points, I do see myself as as being a privileged kid. So, just so that we understand the timeline, you're at university, starting to become a teacher. It's, yeah. it's there that you sort of figure out this love of, of comedy and, and where things start to take shape. Yeah. How do you how do you then actually turn that into your career? And and I, I asked the question, knowing that at the same time, more or less, you were also kind of going into radio. But but how, how does that how does that actually happen? So 2010 was, was I guess, the life-changing year. The life-changing year in terms of um, access and opportunities. So, like I said earlier, started stand-up comedy in November 2010. Started exploring the idea of it in October um, before the politics exam and then Googled all the places from there. And eventually, Joker's Comedy Club in Athlone popped up. Um, Joker's was awesome because, in my mind, stand-up comedy was theatres. Beautiful seating, great lighting. <laughs> Jokers was above a bottle store, above the Lincoln Tavern in Athlone, my bro. It was above the Lincoln Tavern in Athlone, Jared. And I invite, shout out to Melody Chevrolet. Melody was running Jokers at the time, and she gave me my first gig after I pasted her for long enough. Because that's what you must do if you're an yeah. open mic. You've got to message all the people running gigs. Yeah. Um, and just pester people. Just pester. The worst they can say is no. So then what happened was, I invited all my chummies on Facebook, which uh, I realized is not the smartest idea, but about 60 pop day, 60 people okay. came. The place was packed, but uh, packed. A couple of Weimar chummies, SP chummies, retreat chummies, plus from all over, they pulled in. And there was like, let's say 20 chairs. And then thereafter, people were standing and sitting on SAB crates. So they're sitting on kisses with the lung beater. And I was laughing, going, ah, look at stand-up comedy. This is, <laughs> this is what it is. Like it just uh, it was the opposite of everything that that I had imagined it to be. Um, it was real and raw. It was just yeah. there, yeah. you know. It was there. That's the word I'll use to describe it. It was there. And then with with radio, the idea popped up. I think it was in April or May of 2010 that Good Hope FM was doing a campus DJ search. So what what they do is they they went to UCT, they go to UDubs, Cape Tech, UNISA. They set up a satellite mm-hmm. one. They go to Marty's in five institutions in total, you know, a wild card if you're starting at a different institution. They go set up a mock radio studio. So it's like a, a radio desk with a mic. And then you have to present a link 
a link is what you hear the, 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 the DJs doing or the presenters doing after a song's played. You had to back announce a song. Okay. So I remember mine specifically, how it happened was they were there for two days in uh, the cafeteria at, at UCT. And the first day, my chumis and I just sat there. We went to go buy Budavos at the Uncle Lucille Puri's and we were just laughing at everyone. It was bad. <laughs> um, and then the next day, they were there again. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. This is cool. And then um, Sean Lutz, Shono at the time, was with, with, with Good Hope and he saw me at the start going, are you going to enter? I'm like, eh, it's fine. He's like, but you're, you're laughing at every one of your chums, you might as well enter. I'm going, eh, I'm enjoying laughing more. <laughs> this is fun. Um, and then eventually I signed up, put my name down. And then I went and I remember the, the link, the overview, not the obvious words, but the song was Sexy Chick by Akon and... And then I, 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 well, I was finding this video, I was like, uh, I was like, hey, welcome back to Good Hope FM. That was Akon with Sexy Chick. And I'm sure there's many sexy chicks that's going to be enjoying this song in the club. Like, <laughs> me, 70%. Yeah, no, I know. Don't even ask for that. That's, that's what I thought was quite. And then people were there, they were there, they still weren't sure. And then I had to do a link. And then the link was, I remember Make the Circle Bigger with JR and uh, Joey Rastin at Pop. At the time, make the circle right. bigger. The song yeah. was big, and then I did um, a funny link about that and a funny content piece in the cafeteria. There's four people were laughing and they were cheering. It's like my first, and I hated public speaking. I still do. Um, like you know, you must present tutorials and presentations at varsity. I, I cringe, and I still do when it has to be serious content that has to make sense. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I guess you must escape, you know. Um, people laughed, they loved it. Um, at the time, our program manager at Kudop is still there, Gerard Muller. He was there, um, Nigel Pierce was there. Um, I remember meet, meeting Reddy D for the first time over there. And it was, I'm a big, big fan of the Grandmaster. And it was so quiet seeing him because social media hadn't popped in. Yeah. So yeah. they weren't that active, you know? Uh, and then D walked past us. I can say D now because we, we're colleagues. Um, if you're friends, that's great <laughs> if you listen. <laughs> but yeah, and then from there, they said, look, I won the UCT league. I was very fortunate. I won the UCT league, stroke of luck. Wait, wait, wait. So, so, so you have, at this point, you've got no experience in radio. You just kind of... No, bro. No, no radio, no comedy. This is on a day. And then, um, yeah, fortunately, I won the, the UCT league. So the, the judges would vote and the audience would gauge. Okay. Um, and the response was cool. They liked what I did, which is fantastic. Then I won that leg, the UCT leg. Then we went to the top five finalists with the other institutions. Um, we got a co-host, a show with Ibi, Ibrahim Inglis, um, the English man at the time. It was 10 to 2 on Good Up, weekdays. Um, co-hosted a show with him, and then they selected the winners, and then I didn't win. Um, the winner got, it was Nosipo. She got a year or two contract with the, with the radio station. I was so excited. Like at the time I was going, if I win, I'm quitting university, <laughs> not coming back. I hate, I hate this place. And on my way, they were all like, no, you, the plan is always finish five years. Yeah. So yeah. whatever degree I'm doing, do postgrad and then do my teacher's diploma. So I did these three honors and then my postgrad certificate in education, right. PGCE. The plan is always five years. So like after that, you can figure this passion of yours out. Anyway, and then... um. What happened from there, I maintained contact with the station. They had a competition called Laugh Master, um, 
whether we know we perform at the Funny Festival um, at the Baxter. And then I entered that. I didn't win. I was a finalist. But then Nigel used to get um, comedians on the breakfast show. And I mailed him and he got me on. He was really awesome. Giving my first opportunity to be on, on a commercial radio station. Went into studio. Brandon Parches was still sports presenter. Sandra Rosenberg was on News. Nigel was hosting it. Um, and then the year after that, that was in 2011, the year after that, I knew when I started my teacher's diploma, I don't want to teach next year because stand-up comedy was, this bug was biting. And even with cricket, I was going to less training sessions. I was just neglecting cricket, which was fine. My daddy asked me if you had the choice, would you play for the Proteas or perform at the Baxter? I was like, I perform at the Baxter, but I, I perform in Athlone, I perform in OBS, but not go play. That's how much I love stand-up comedy which is weird because your know, life was cricket up, up until a certain stage and then I'm just going no stand-up you guys don't understand I am I, I don't want to say I'm addicted to it but I'm I'm in this thing it's part of my being um really love love what I do and fortunate to pursue it as as my, my career so then from there contacted the station saying hey Gerard not sure what the way forward is in terms of getting a job in radio study radio this is what i'm doing this is where i'm at um campus dj search was the link which was great because that means there's a relationship already um what's the chances of me getting involved behind the scenes etc etc not any on your vibes like cool let's set up a meeting we chatted just came in see how things work and then in august of that year 2012 they mailed me hey there's opportunity coming up in 2013 pull in and chat and we spoke and then they gave me a contract on an ad hoc basis. So to do stand-in shifts from August through until the 30th of March. Yeah. And then on the 1st of April, they're like, cool, you'll do lunchtime sports. Radio was awesome starting out, but very difficult because I didn't have any experience. Right. No community right. radio, nothing, just commercial radio straight up, which if I had to do it again, I would not do it that way. I would get more experience at the at the community radio station. Um, it's like stand-up comedy, it's two different industries, but like stand-up comedy, the only way you get better is with time behind the mic. So being on stage is how you become a better comedian. Being behind the microphone is how you become a better broadcaster. Right. So whether it's sports presenting, whether it's being a, a host of a show, whatever the case is, a news anchor. Um, I personally feel like I found my feet in radio Three years in, um, if I'm being honest, had some funny, funny nervous moments, <laughs> um, which I make fun. Jeez, bro, I've had some. The uh, funniest was, and it was working with Stan, it's Lapis Labuskachni. He was playing for the Lions, and I, I, I was so nervous, I just started on his name, and I was like, Lapis Labuskach. <laughs> I couldn't say, I couldn't, then I tried again, I'm like, Labuskach. <laughs> and if I do that now, I'm confident yeah. and, and comfortable yeah, yeah. enough to make fun of it and but do gags around it. If I do any, make any mistakes now, feel like I slipped up. I'll, I'm sharp enough because of comedy and comfortability on air to make fun and humorous moments about it. No, bro, when you're starting, you just two seconds feel like 10 minutes of going, no, what is happening? <laughs> so, so, so again, if, if, you, if you're listening and you work in broadcasting or you, at least you want to work in broadcasting or you want to be a comedian, just go get time behind the microphone. Go become comfortable behind the mic. Um, with radio, become comfortable with hearing your own voice, with the silence, with um, creating theater of the mind and being present in the moment. And, and just 
translating you. It's important for me because we pushed when we when we see people who sound the same as us or look the same as us in industries that we think might not be accessible. So I want the lady from the flats to be comfortable with these or accent and not be shy of it yeah. when they post matric at university or um, in a corporate space because there's so much negativity attached to a colored accent. Right. I, I still try to figure out why. I'm just going, there's so many accents. Why, guys? Accents and stereotypes just shouldn't go together anymore. It's 2021. So the more we own it, the the better it is going forward and for future generations. What I'm taking from what you're saying is that actually being true to yourself, being true to who you are 100%. is actually the, the most important thing. And I think... Authenticity, brother. But, but I mean, that's actually... That's, I think, something that a lot of people struggle with. Not not just in things like their accent and their choices and their, you know, what career they want to go into and, and that sort of thing. And yeah. to the story that you're telling me about your career, it's kind of Dalen saying at a point in his life, I actually like doing something, comedy, and mm. never mind what anyone else says about it. Like, I'm just going to do me and I'm going to pursue this thing. And I think there's this such a valuable lesson in there for me. And, you know, you, you mentioned about how you kind of just sent the guy at the radio station an email and, and that's how the thing starts rolling. So like, you've got to yeah. be true to yourself, it sounds like, and, and you've got to take your shot. But take your shot. was there ever mm-hmm. a point in, in this process? Because from what you said, it, it just, it seems like there was this steady progression and the thing is just building on top of it and, and you're moving forward. But was there, was there ever a point where you thought to yourself, listen, this is not going to work out. I must just go back to being a Every teacher. Every day, Jared. <laughs> Every day. Every and day. How, how do you build yourself up then from that, from, from that moment? What do, you, what do you do to just keep going on? Honestly, when people say, what's your advice to anyone who wants to start stand-up comedy? I was, like, that was my next don't question. Start. Don't, 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 don't do it. Don't do it. It's <laughs> I joke about it. Do it if you can, but don't do it. It's so it's so difficult. Like I said at the start, there's no blueprint, right? So, yeah. and every job is tough. Every career path you choose is tough. So that's why I don't complain. I'm like going. You chose this career path. You can't complain. There's going to be challenges. No one cares. Just work hard, right? So now what happens is. You're going to broadcasting. It's 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 um you're a freelance artist essentially, and you're going to stand up comedy, and there's no blueprint. Yeah. There's no trajectory. There's no guaranteed trajectory. So you go to university, do three years, you do a degree. So that was always my thing going, yeah, no, there's no blueprint here, there's no how to guide, there's nothing, my bro. You're just pulling on what the generations of before have done now you start performing more and you start going okay cool um this is how the club structure works there's open mics support then there's um headliners okay then there's a theater scene where you're booking theater shows and there's lineup shows which you could be booked for then there's um established comics just touring and you could be booked as their open act um then there's the corporate work that this comes in and there's the online work and you're just going okay there's all these there's this varied model in terms of 
what work could be, yeah. but I don't know how to, I still don't know how to access that, even though I'm trying to figure it out slowly, but surely. But then you realize, okay, cool. Comedy is going to give you opportunities. So for me, we always say, this is like from your wave, these certain guys will get opportunities at different stages. So for me, that 2013 year was a big year because I, I remember uh, I got to tour and open for Riyad Musa, Stuart Taylor, uh, Barry Hilton. I went to the Arts Fest with um, the then your master comedy club, now Cape Town Comedy Club the year before. And the year after I went to my own show. So that was a big year in terms of opportunity and access and seeing the progression scale. Yeah. And I mean, th- those are as, really big names. As a comic. Yeah, yeah. and, the, and the, those, those that, that was big, Brian, in terms of my career um, and stepping stones and seeing that, oh, okay, um, if you do well, then opportunities present itself. Still into two competitions, Nando's and Kudo was a finalist for both in the one Nando's. I didn't make it. Um, and you, you bleak about these things, but these opportunities pop up. And then you go, okay, cool. But now I need to start creating my own opportunities because people are going to stop giving you opportunities. You it was only the new act for so long. And then from there, you start writing shows and going, okay, cool. Now I need to travel more. Okay, cool. Now this is the business model that I have to figure out. And so you're constantly figuring out. Like I always say, like I'm, I've been performing for like 10 years, but probably the business of comedy for about five, five years. Now you start figuring out that model and it's tough because you, you're dealing with, with possible clients where there's contracts involved. You're like, oh, flip, I need a browser lawyer because I don't have money and just need him or her to review a contract for me. Um, okay, I'm a freelance artist. I need um, someone to do my, my books for me to make sure that this is in order yeah. because well, with companies, they ask for this and they ask for that and I don't know this and they send me stuff to sign, but I don't know what to sign, but I need all these things. And now slowly but surely you go, okay, flip, now there's a, I need a poster, I need an artwork person, I need someone to help with PR, but I don't have money, so I'm doing my own PR. That's what I did at the start, I'd email and phone all the media houses and just sit, sit, sit up stuff myself. Um, that was my first show because I was going... So again, if you're not going to do it yourself, you don't want to invest in yourself. No one else is going to do it. Right. Also, if you do it now, you see the value attached to it. So that when you employ someone, then you um, then you know their worth and what they should be getting you. So all these all these things start popping up over the years, and obviously this comes with performing more and traveling more and career growth. But it's learned on the spot, man. Like mm-hmm. there's going to be bad decisions. There's going to be mistakes. And those are lessons that you learn in terms of business. Like for me, the thing was always don't be scared to phone other comics from the first generation, the established guys who have now become friends, who were your heroes growing up, yeah. to bounce ideas off them, work ideas and ask them because sure it was extremely tough when they started because that first wave of comedians coming from the late 90s into the early 2000s, there wasn't a stand-up comedy scene or circuit. Yeah. So that's led to be created. So they they built spaces for us to be privileged enough to say, I want to pursue this as a career. So tap into that knowledge and invest in that friendships and invest time into learning and listening. Become a student of the, the art in different aspects yeah. like that. And then th- and this is such a long-winded um, answer only because that's the way I've learned. Right. It's a long right. process. It, it wasn't a process that happened overnight. And I'm still learning. And it's scary because sometimes you just go, this could all end 
like that, and that's what lockdown showed us. It could all it could all end like that. Now we have to rediscover the space we exist in, restructure the space we exist in. Um, the markets change. Stand-up comedy, still stand-up comedy. You have to be on stage, but you can't be on stage. So in terms of the business side of things, you learn, you learn on the fly. You fake it, bruh. If they say, can you do it? You say, yes. And then you put down the phone and you go, all right, now how do we do this thing that they need me to do? <laughs> but it's fantastic because this is where the maturity comes in. This is where yeah. the growth comes in. Yeah. This is where the life lessons comes, comes in. And you start realizing who's your core of people that you can bounce ideas from. You start realizing, okay, you have to be committed to this decision. You have to be more firm in this. You have to be assertive. Sometimes you can't bounce ideas of people. You just have to go for it. And if you can, you're investing in your in yourself financially or you're not, whatever the case is, your time is valuable as well. So it's not going to waste. Sometimes you feel like we, we're alone and so isolated and no one wants to help. But sometimes you're just not asking for that help. And if it's your friends, they don't mind. You Like your close friends want you to succeed, man. They're in your corner. They're your biggest cheerleaders, your close friends and your family. So when you call on a favor or call on help, they know it's difficult, but they will be there for you. They will show up for you. And and that, that was really cool at the start of, of everything, the people who showed up and who are still showing up. What's next for Dale and Oliver? What's the what is the future have in store What's for next? <laughs> Work-wise, honestly, I have no idea. This is the this is the um, most uncertain I've been yeah. about my future in a very long time. Fortunately, with with radio, um, I'm I'm still with the radio station, so still on the breakfast show, six to nine a.m. That's 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 journey still still going. But with comedy, I can't plan because I don't know what's happening in terms of vaccines. So I can't plan shows because I don't know if people are feeling safe yet. I haven't planned any shows since December. Right. So even going outside now, I can't because it's raining now, it's winter. Once the vaccines roll out properly in South Africa and once um, once the cases have completely disappeared, I don't know when that's going to be. Then I can start planning. But what I am doing and what I was doing since last year, I'm writing a new show, so that's that's exciting. Okay. Um, in a perfect world, once fans are lifted and once we can start performing regularly, oh yeah, I'm going to be working on my new shows in, in, in restaurant pubs and bars and coffee shops. So I'm working on a new hour. That's a good thing to say. I'm working on a new hour. I did, um, I started on it last year and um, as soon as I'm back on stage, I'll be working on it again. And that's it up on this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss out on the next one. If you'd like to help support the podcast, please do share with others and leave a rating and review. This has been the Breaking Out Podcast, and I've been your host, Jared Lizar. Until next time.